1: The sporting capital with Sam Hargraves on S. E. M. Oh, it's a massive show tonight. Heroes and villains. Liam Santa Maria from the U.S. after the 36ers beat the Phoenix. Got Sattler with the NRL grand final wrap up, and Michelle Timms will talk Lauren Jackson. Go! Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital on a Monday night. Uh, If you were just tuning in for uh, the Macca's Run Trade Radio, uh, the number is back to its uh, original, the uh, regular number. one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 on the Harcourt's open line. You'll move... Your Harcourts, you can text us on the 40 Winks temper text, 0433 98 But we are back with our regular phone numbers for you to get yourself involved and get conversing. Uh, On the Harcourts open line, you'll move your Harcourts. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts. For all things sport, give me a call. If you've got a hero or if you've got a villain from the weekend in sport, then there were plenty uh, in both camps, I reckon. So I can't wait to hear your nominations. We have got a jam-packed hour for you. Before BP takes over at 8 o'clock with the first serve, Scott Sattler, who was the hero of the 2003 uh, Penrith Premiership in the NRL, uh, part of SEN League's very own, is going to come up and wrap up uh, the back-to-back Premiership performance of the Panthers and Dylan Edwards with a little homage to Scott Sattler as well. So can't wait to catch up with Sats about the NRL grand final last night and then Michelle Timms is going to finish us tonight with Lauren Jackson, absolutely a hero nomination for her. Um, Well, it was a send-off of the highest order for someone who sits at the top of the Australian basketball pecking order. Lauren Jackson's 30-point performance in Australia's bronze medal win over Canada at the FIBA World Cup was a fantastic way to send her off and a a phenomenal moment in Australian sports. Looking forward to catching up with her. Um, We don't often start. Um, with basketball and the heroes and villains, but I thought why not we do a two birds with one stone, a hero nomination and then an interview straight off the back of it. Um, this was a moment that happened today that has never happened in Australian basketball before. Final seconds
2: ticking away. Tony Craig for one With a knockdown, the three. And that will do it.
3: today
2: 's
0: final
3: score
2: Final score in this one, 134-124. As we tip off the exhibition slates here at Footprint Center and on Valley Sports Arizona.
1: Well, that was the moment that history was made. The Adelaide 36 is becoming the first NBL team to ever beat an NBA team. A 134-124 to 124 win over the Phoenix Suns, who only two years ago were contesting the NBA Finals. This is... Massive, and the basketball world has absolutely exploded. And when I look at the names that were tweeting during this game, I'm talking Jamal Murray, I'm talking Ja Morant, I'm talking our very own Josh Giddey. This has just set... This has spun the whole basketball world, and... We're lucky that we get access to a very good man, a very good basketball commentator, analyst, uh, writer. Liam Santamaria is over with the 36ers following their US tour. He's been good enough to stay up to have a chat to us on the Sporting Capital. Liam, hello, mate.
2: Hello, Sam. Great to be with you, mate. And you're right. It was an historic performance and an historic moment um, here in in Phoenix, Arizona tonight. And uh, I'm just standing on the other side, on the quiet side of the wall, the Adelaide 36ers and their staff and their friends and family are inside, and uh, they are uh, enjoying the spoils of what they were able to achieve this
1: evening. What's the mood in there like?
2: Uh, it's, it's just extreme happiness. Um, as you said, an NBL team's never beaten an NBA team before. Um, we were including when the Perth Wildcats played the Houston Rockets back in 1995. It was 0-16 coming into tonight's game. And, you know, those who have been watching closely watched Melbourne lose by one point to OKC in 2017, watched New Zealand lose to the Phoenix Suns by five the year after. Uh, We've been thinking, do you know what? This might just happen one day. And, yeah, it's preseason, but the big stars for the Suns were out there on the floor. They started the game, Chris Paul, uh, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges. They're, They're starting five that they will play with this season. They played extended minutes in the third quarter, and um, yeah, they look, Monty Williams didn't bring those guys back in down the stretch, but it was it was an unbelievable performance by the 36ers. They caught fire in a ridiculous way. They hit 24 threes at nearly 60%. <laughs> the Allied 36ers as a franchise, Sam, over the course of their entire history, over 1,200 games in their existence have never hit over 23s in a game. And they just dropped 24 beyond the longer NBA arc against um, a NBA championship contending team in the Phoenix Suns. So ridiculous performance, and um, they created history for Australian basketball tonight.
1: When you're watching something like this, Liam, and I equate it back to when I was watching the 08 grand final. No one gave Hawthorne a chance going into that. And as I'm watching that game in the third quarter, you think... Surely, we're not, surely Hawthorne aren't going to win this, are they? Surely they're not. Hang on a minute. I think they're going to win. And you, you can't quite believe what you're seeing before your, your very eyes. At the, when they were leading by 12 points at halftime, the 36ers, I'd imagine you are sitting there going, OK, well, Phoenix will click into gear. This will be an honourable loss and well done, the 36ers. At what <laughs> point did you go, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I, I, think they're about, I think they're going to win this? Well, I'm a, an eternal optimist.
2: Sam. <laughs> so um, I, I gave him hope, but I was sitting at the time with the great man, Andrew Gaze, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying he didn't feel the same way that I did. Mm. He said, look, it's been fun, but they're not going to win this game. You know, like we've seen, we have seen this kind of thing before. NBA teams have got up on NBA teams. Heck, We saw it at the Tokyo Olympics when the boomers were up 17 on team USA. Yes. and Kevin Durant took over and lost that game. So um, that was the, the feeling that he had. But look, this Adelaide team is stacked with talent and um, they, they were just shooting the absolute heck out of the ball and they didn't stop doing that. And to be honest, for me, whilst I was hopeful throughout that period of time, it was really only midway through the fourth quarter where they just continued to hit big three after big three Did it get to a point where I thought, they're going to win this game. And uh, I turned to my cameraman and said, Howard, we've got a situation here. Uh, history is being made right in front of our very eyes. So so much fun to be there uh, on the ground to, to view it and, and hats off to the Thirty Sixers for what they're able to get done. I've got Antonius Cleveland walking by me right now. He had 20 points. He was amazing. He guarded Devin Booker and uh, the 36ers are just enjoying the spoils.
1: Uh, Booker only had the 13 points as well. Chris Paul only had the 6, but they were still well served. Mikhail Bridges for the Phoenix had 22. DeAndre Ayton had 22. And just before we get back to the 36ers, Jock Landale had 12 points uh, to go along with 6 rebounds for the Phoenix. How did he look in Phoenix colours after crossing uh, from San Antonio in the off-season?
2: Oh, well, he's a great player, Jock Landale. We know he tore up the NBL when he was there and We love seeing him in the NBA. I love seeing him out there on the floor. He's excited about what things are going to be like for him in the Valley of the Sun this season, but he was a picture of frustration post-game, to be honest. Um, You know, he's he's proud of the NBL and Australian basketball, but, um, you know, he really didn't want his team to lose that game. None of them did. So uh, it was, you know, that that was the the feeling from him. Although I will say, I was chatting with DeAndre Ayton in the corridors post-game, and (laughs) <laughs> despite losing, there was a, a, a part of him that was pretty upbeat. I mean, he, he recognized the fact that this was um, a, a night for the ages, for the Adelaide mm. guys that were involved, and he kind of felt happy for them.
1: So the 36ers, I mean, you talk about the incredible performances, but 32 points from Robert Franks. Craig Randall had 35 points. I read one article saying 36ers fans will be worried he won't get back on the plane because NBA teams will be lined up at the airport to stop him. But Mitch McCarron, Mm. 16 assists. Those players aren't scoring if Mitch McCarron's not dishing the rock in the way that he was. He was huge for the 36ers as well.
2: He was absolutely superb, Mitch McCarron. Um, He was tough. And rugged defensively, he was guarding Chris Paul, a Hall of Famer, um, a first ballot Hall of Famer mm. in, in the future. And he was fighting over those picks and he was getting uh, back in front. Now, they they did some damage in the pick and roll, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. But down the other end, Mitch McCarron was wheeling and dealing and having a good time. He threw a uh, highlight reel pass over his head to set up Kai Soso at the rim and he was drawing the help defense, turning the corner, and then pitching it out to guys on the arc, and they were knocking down shots. So you're right, 16 assists um, to go with the nine rebounds, um, and he was really poised at, at about seven and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter when things just started to get maybe yeah, a little bit. they quiet. started
1: to come back, didn't they, Phoenix? Mm-hmm.
2: Mick Downer, the Adelaide assistant coach, made his way up to CJ Bruton and said, is it time to put Mitch McCarron back in the game? And he said he's coming back in at seven minutes. So he waited an extra possession, and then McCarron came in, and he brought the poise to help them close it out, and it was a superb performance by the Adelaide captain
1: so Liam Santa Maria, we know that they're off to Oklahoma and it'll be a, a, a fond reunion I'm sure with Josh Giddy, who was watching this and he had the eyes wide open emoji uh in his tweet but so put it into context for us you 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 have you've seen more basketball uh, in a weekend than most of us will you know you've been covering this sport for a very long time you've seen things how big and ad- how big a moment is this for Australian basketball uh, look, it's big. It's really big.
2: Now, is it as big as the, the, the Boomers winning a medal or anything like that? No, of course not. But um, it, because it's a preseason game, it's an exhibition game, essentially. But nonetheless, um, you know, the, it's never happened before. Like I said, in 16 previous games where NBL teams had played NBA teams while some had come close, they had never got over the line. And they did that tonight, the Adelaide 36ers. And they did it in pretty spectacular fashion to be honest. So um, I think it's really big. I think it's, you know, it it's, um, speaks to the growth and the ongoing mm. um, development of the NBL. It just keeps getting better year after year. Look, there were some good teams on display in that round one of the NBL season, but Adelaide made a statement tonight and said, well, we're, we're coming back uh, ready to do some damage. So um, I think it was a, it was a massive night for Australian basketball and certainly – an enormous night for for this particular club, uh, the 36ers.
1: Uh, beautifully said. And as uh, your friend uh, and our friend and colleague, Corey Homicide-Williams says, this ain't no Cupcake League. He's, I think he's trademarked. that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. Um, <laughs> but this is just another example You might of need that. to pay him for that. I don't know. I'll just go into hiding for a while. Um, he, but he's 100% <laughs> right. This is a, and you're 100% right. This is a great endorsement to show the world exactly the standard that the NBL has. And um, we've been saying for a long time now that the aim is to be the second best league in the world. This goes a long way to establishing that. Um, mate, thanks so much. I won't even bother you with the NBL scores from the weekend. I know they're playing when you're asleep. I know you'd be across them anyway because I'd imagine the scores just come to you in your slumber. Uh, that's how tuned in you are. But we'll speak to you again soon. Uh, good luck on the junket. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> thanks, Sam. Liam Santa Maria travelling with the Adelaide 36ers. And I like this from AG off the text. Phoenix Suns total salary cap, $173 million. Adelaide 36ers salary total, $1.7 million. So a lot of love coming through for what the 36ers did today, the first NBL team to ever beat an NBA team. And there's always a Captain Killjoy. It's an exhibition game. Imagine if the Suns, starting five, played more than 22 minutes game time. Bridges and Aiton both had 22 points in their 22 minutes, and they would have destroyed Adelaide if they actually played like their, if played their minutes like Adelaide did. It was just like the All-Star game, a bit of fun. Uh, what else did we get? Quit this rubbish. The Suns' guns sat down for most of the game. If you don't think that the Suns will be embarrassed losing to an NBL side, um, I don't know what to tell you. I think you've got your head in your sand. Have a look at the reaction from a lot of the NBA stars that were watching. They were stunned with what they were seeing. And if you don't think the Suns are smarting a little bit, oh, I think you'd be off the mark with that one. Uh, heroes and villains on the other side of this. By the way, uh, NBL results from the weekend. There's still a game to play in round one. Jack jumpers and tie pans tonight. Um, but southeast Melbourne, five point win over the Jack Jumpers, the Hawks. That was a thriller against uh, the Sydney Kings, 97 106. An overtime win for Melbourne United, 101 97 against the Breakers. The Wildcats got their season off to a nice start with an 87 73 win over Aaron Baines as Brisbane Bullets. Bryce Cotton was on fire, and the Jack Jumpers and the Cairns Taipans will round out round one of NBL action tonight. Heroes and villains on the other side of this on the Sporting Capital.
3: strength to carry on and you cast your fears aside
1: and villains on a Monday night. You can call yours in on the Harcourts open line one three hundred seven 736 You'll move your Harcourts. You can text it in on the 40 Wings temper text consumer's choice winner temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conform to the exact shape of your body. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 heroes and villains. Geez, there's, there's one bloke in particular that is that upset that we're actually celebrating the 36ers having a win over the Phoenix. Only one international team in history has beaten an NBA team. And if you don't think we can just enjoy that and celebrate it without you having to try and trample all over it, I'm amazed at how upset you're getting. Uh, Anyway, I think it's a phenomenal achievement and one that will and has resonated strongly around the basketball community. Uh, So you can have a villain nomination for it being such a killjoy, real wet blanket stuff. Let's get behind our Australian team, shall we or shall we not? Uh, Tony and East Bentley. Tony, a hero for us from the week. Hello, mate.
0: G'day, Sam. My hero is Sandy Bondella, who's been overlooked in the Opals' bronze medal bronze medal victory uh, mm. yesterday. She goes down as an icon coach of Australian basketball with that, and mm. for her to integrate Laurel, Lauren Jackson to come back in at the age of forty one is just amazing. Because I heard a younger member of the squad yesterday, who's about twenty three, said. I'm never, ever going to refuse to play for the Opals. And she's heading to the WNBA. Three generations. And Sandy, to get that age difference, she's mid-50s, 41 to a young 20-year-old, to say, this is what your basketball is for Australia.
1: Come back and play for us. Yeah, it's a great call, the intergenerational Tony. It's change. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> and we're going to have Michelle Timms on to talk about that before we finish up tonight. Uh, on the sporting capital, it's um, a point well made and a great hero nomination. Where they were after and going into and after the Tokyo Olympics, the Opals. I mean, they'd that, that had their heart and uh, they had their hearts torn out. Um, they had been shattered by the events that led up to the Olympics with Liz Cambridge and uh, they are still struggling with that today. And Lauren Jackson comes back and says, oh, "I will come back into the Australian team after she missed out on a, a farewell in 2016, debilitating knee injuries." So, yeah, what she's been able to do and what they've been able to do to come from where they were after Tokyo to get a bronze at the World Cup, it's an incredible achievement. And, and what a turnaround from then to now for the Opals. They are very worthy uh, of a hero nomination. Um, a couple off the text. Hero, Jason Horn Francis for wanting to come back home to Port. We can't wait for next year. That's from Jeff in South Australia. I don't think North Melbourne fans would agree with you there, Jeff. Um, the only number one draft pick that that uh, organisation, uh, that club has ever had uh, wants to go home after one year and uh, unfortunately it's been a, just as tough a year as it, you would have a, a, see a footy club have with North Melbourne. So can they turn that disappointment into something really exciting and maybe do a deal for the for Jason Horn, francis and the number one pick that could see them with four or five first rounders to use over the next two drafts? That would be something that would really get the uh, re-energise and get a bit of excitement amongst the fan base again, uh, as, lo- as well as, you know, at a time when we've got the uncertainty around Alistair Clarkson. So um, interesting text there from Jeff in South Australia. Uh, the Eagles signing Jason Hunt has got a hero nomination. Uh, unrestricted free agent. He's heading to the West Coast Eagles. Uh, the news today, Taranto gets to the Tigers with pick 12 and pick 19 and Bobby Hill um, and a second rounder uh, gets to Collingwood from the Giants for a second rounder and a future third rounder uh, as well. Uh, a couple of hero nominations for me. We've already been through the 36s. Penrith Panthers. We're going to speak to Scott Sattler after 7.30. Um Dynasties in modern-year NRL very hard to come by. Only two teams have gone back-to-back since the Broncos did it in 97-98, and one of those was actually a Super League year for the Broncos. The Roosters in 1890, and now the Panthers go back-to-back after three grand finals in a row. Before the Broncos, it was the Broncos in 92 The Raiders did it in 89-90. Bulldogs did it in 84 85. So, since Super League, it's only been done twice. Um, the Panthers could absolutely do what the Eels did in 81 to 83 and go three in a row. The junior pathway is the envy of the competition. So many of their players come through that system. So many of them are current or recent New South Wales reps in state of origin. Uh, the Eels will get a villain nomination. They were never in that game last night. Panthers were power, perfection. It was all rolled into one. Dylan Edwards, the Clive Churchill medalist. His homage to Scotty Sattler, whose match-winning tackle uh, in 2003 on Todd Byrne, um, clinched that win for them. It was almost a replica of that one on Bailey uh, Simonson. Uh, Effectively snuffed out any glimmer of hope for Anil's fight back. It'll be part of NRL folklore for a long time. He's just been named as a standby player for Australia at the World Cup after capping off a brilliant season. Lauren Jackson will speak about more with Michelle Timms. The Hawks had another four-goal comeback. Down by four. Two wins in a row. They do it against West Coast after doing it against Sydney the week before. Jess Duffin, three goals. Masterclass of coaching from Beck Goddard. Chelsea Randall, a hero nomination, won the first ever showdown medal. Three snags to go with 27 disposals, nine score involvements, seven clearances as well. The Crows demolished the power, 60-point win. Power went goalless. Uh, that's a villain nomination. Can't be going goalless. Uh, great crowd of over 20,000 too. It was there to see the first ever showdown. Uh, which was an exciting moment uh, in AFLW and, and and football, especially in South Australia. Um, have I got time to give a villain? I will give a villain. Um, as we speak about AFLW, now Steve Price is not someone who a single human had asked for uh, his view on the AFLW, someone who's in no way, shape or form a sports journo, commentator, aficionado, no attachment to it at all. His attempted hatchet job on the AFLW uh, in his article in the Herald Sun was about as poorly researched as it was poorly written uh, with just as poor intentions. It was just for clickbait. That's all it was. Um, if you're going to write a takedown piece, maybe have a little bit more insight into watching one game than checking the scores and the crowds of a couple of others. You would think a bloke with that much experience would have a bit higher standards than that. You'd think that maybe instead of lamenting having not heard the case for AFLW, well, how about you pick up the phone Speak to one of the 18 teams as to why the ones who signed up originally have thanked the footy gods every day they did for the new sponsors, the new members, the government grants, the facility upgrades, you name it. And then why the ones who didn't sign up originally were falling all over themselves to do so, to get in after that. You could ring the AFL and ask them. You could also ring the AFLW, Nicole Livingston, and ask her. You could ring Channel 7 and Fox Footy. You might have also discovered that AFLW is semi-professional, so therefore, no, it's not yet elite sport, but with over 600,000 people participating in women's footy. And as we now see the results of having a pathway from juniors to the AFLW direct, it soon will be elite. So there's just a couple of suggestions on how you could have actually done your homework for that article. But I probably shouldn't have to tell you that after 30 years of being a journo, how to do your research. And what's the bet, too, that after the response he got from the dribble he wrote, he'll have another whinge about being cancelled, Despite having a newspaper column, a radio show, and a regular TV appearance, that was as piss poor as it gets. And if you don't want to watch, then don't, mate. Nobody cares if you do or you don't. But if you're going to wade into the combo, then at least have a clue about what you're actually talking about. Uh, the Eels, that's a villain. Harsh but Fair, they could barely get Penrith into their own half in the first half. They couldn't put a dent in the line when they did. It was a GF that just didn't live up to the incredible atmosphere, to the build-up. They'd be flat today at the NRL, not just because it was the lowest ratings ever, but because this promised to be an all-time great occasion. And sadly, just like the AFL-GF, except for Geelong fans, uh, it was a bit of a fizzer. Uh, We'll speak about it, though, with Scott Sattler on the other side of this on the Sporting Capital. Seven seconds
2: remaining. Final play of the game. And fittingly, Abby Corusow, who's leaving the club, has the last play... The Panthers, the perfect Panthers. They've won the grand final, 28 points to 12. This brutal machine have gone back to back. Kick through, it'll sit up two for Simonson. He's over the 30. Simonson gets past the Ferrari. Here's Edwards versus Simon. Satler! Satler!
0: Scotty Satler tackle from Edwards! Right in front of the man. and it was a bottle! <laughs>
1: Uh, it certainly was now, I might have played those grabs, uh, just a little bit ass about, but uh, I think you get the point, so um, Penrith, the game was over when it was eighteen to nil at half time. Uh, the eels were able to get a couple of tries late, but uh, in the end uh, twenty eight points that the the panthers put on, and uh, that moment, as I spoke to before, will live on in nrL folklore it 'll sit there very nicely. Uh, As an homage to Scotty Sattler, his match-winning tackle on Todd Byrne in 2003 to clinch it for the Panthers back then uh, had some really, really vivid similarities uh, to the one that the Clive Churchill medalist Dylan Edwards laid last night. And Scotty Sattler, as he has been every week during this season, has been good enough to join us again. Sats, it's just called a Scotty Sattler now. When you pull a tackle out like that, I loved hearing that from everybody—not just in our commentary, but the other radio commentary, the TV commentary. I know you don't want to make this about you, um, but I tell you what: <laughs> people were loving the comparisons with that moment to your moment. Um, how did you feel watching that all unfold last night?
0: Oh, it was great! It was great to watch the the, the whole performance. To be quite honest, now so dominant they were, and and to also see Dylan. Come up with uh, an individual play, which I know that he'll play off as a as a team moment. Um, and he's such a humble young man, mm. but he's a player that has really had to. He's had to battle everyone's opinion of whether he's uh, a game breaker or whether he's a player that is good enough to be a premiership winning fullback a few years ago. And he's worked really hard. And I thought that one moment just typified. What his career has been like, where he's just he just doesn't give up and and came up with a a really important tackle and it's not an important tackle in the scheme of the, the the score line or anything like that. It's important in the sense that they were sending a huge message that they don't want to give away any cheap tries or, or concede any points. So mm. yeah, really special moment for Dylan. He's a he's a humble young man. He's a great young man and and deserves the Clive Churchill Medal as well.
1: It, it had so much in the build up. The first time that that you know these two big clubs. Uh, especially, you know, the heart and soul of of the west of of Sydney uh, had met in a grand final. Um, the the atmosphere was for like it, it, Steve's uh, uh, listening to uh, Sturlo talk in the build up. about he's never ever heard an atmosphere quite like it before the the, the kick off, and uh, it had everything that I think the NRL were hoping for. Unfortunately, it didn't have the ratings, and it didn't quite get to the level of the game that um, the build up and 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 the atmosphere probably. Um, you know, thought that they would have? Yeah,
0: being there live, I've got to say, to I mean, that, um, that uh, hearing the the Penrith players announced on the big screen, like just really blatant boos and very loud boos, because the Parramatta, this crowd was primarily a, a Parramatta-supported uh, crowd. And I think it would have been probably 65, 35, to be quite honest. And mm. Penrith took them out of the equation really early. They, just they silenced silence yep. to the point where... About fifteen minutes in the second half, you just see paramount of people leaving the game and it wouldn't surprise me if the if the ratings are down also a little bit like the AFL grand final, I think got to the stage where people just turned off. Um because it was such a mismatch. Uh yeah, they are they're a dominant side of this side. They're pretty special what they're doing. They go back to back and yeah, they, you know, they're not a dynasty yet. Dynasty I think is when you start winning, you know, four premierships and five premierships, Yeah, you know, like we saw with teams back in the yeah, the fifties, sixties, the the seventies and the eighties and the and the nineties where where teams were winning or well, not really the nineties, when teams are winning sort of three and four in, in five or six years. So but I tell you what, they're they're showing all the signs that they're they're gonna be a, a sign side that's gonna be pretty difficult to contend with for a number of years.
1: Yeah, game essentially over, eighteen nil at half time. Um, that's as, it, they they're almost perfect. Penrith, weren't they? And we heard in the, in the commentary from Joel Kane that, you know, Happy Apikorosau leaving, but as I said before, I, I, I lost count of how many, I think it's about seven New South Wales reps that they've got uh, in that team alone. Can you see them being able to get three in a row? No one's done it since the Eels in 81 to 83, and certainly no one's done mm. it post-Super League. Yeah,
0: well, they've come in as a... Straight away, when the market's been announced for 2023, they're the overwhelming favourites already. Uh, they deserve to be uh, because everyone's emotionally connected at the moment. They've got such a strong. No, it's not about their first grade side to them, It's about everything that comes below them. Like they won the second grade premiership. They won the um, you know the Jersey flag and the SG ball, which is the under 19s and under 21s as well. So yeah, you know, they've they've got these amazing development pathways, and so they pretty much got a lot of boxes ticked. A lot of teams and clubs are trying to follow. A lot of other codes are trying to follow what they're trying to do as well. That's how significant it is. But they do lose. They lose Appy now, who's a huge loss but they've got a, a, a hooker coming through by they name Sunny Sonny Luke who's about 25 years of age but he's a, he's a very crafty player. Plays like Appy. So they'll lose a lot but not too much in the sense of the style but so Villioma Mikki has a huge loss, like so, five, mm. He yeah, runs like a centre. He's got beautiful silky hands. He's got great skill. And also he's this really easy target to go there each time. And defenders hate playing against him because you don't know what what he's got in his arsenal. So that's going to be a huge loss. And, and who they fill that role with is going to be really difficult for them. So I'm, I'm thinking of the first, the first half of next year, they won't be as dominant. But in the second half of the year, I think they'll they'll find their mojo again.
1: What about the Eels? Um, you know, I heard um, I heard Vossie asking the question today on uh, eleven seventy SEN. Have they missed their chance here? I
0: don't know whether they've missed their chance. So again, they're a club that's got some really good players coming through as well. Um, but in saying that, they, they do lose a lot of really key players. They lose Murata near Cora going to the Warriors, and uh, they're losing. Um, also, Reed Marney uh, who's going to the Bulldogs, um, yeah. So they've got uh, Isaiah Papali, the back row going to the West Tigers. So they're losing some key players, but in saying that, they signed Josh Hodgson, who is one of the probably one of the best hookers in the competition, one of the craftiest hookers in the competition when it comes to attack. So from an attacking point of view, I think he offers a little bit more than Reed Marnie who they're losing. But it's the other ones that are around him that they're losing that are going to be really hard to to uh, fill those spots. So. Yeah, I, I don't think they're a top four side next year, but um, they'll definitely play finals footy next year. But I think it's going to take them probably two or three years just to, to uh, fill in some of those real key strike players that they're losing. Uh, what did you make
1: of the Kangaroo squad for the World Cup? Yeah,
0: um, I don't think there's a lot of surprises there. I'm not surprised that Dylan Edwards and Nick Hines missed out, which there's a lot, a lot of players in the in the. The team that can play halves and can play centre and can play fullback. Yeah. There's a lot of players that can play multiple positions, and I'm a bit surprised that Danny Cook didn't make it. Um, but with Ben Hunt and Harry Grant there, that sort of fills that space. And um, Lindsay Collins uh, making out know, that was a surprise, and good on the young young guy. I'm, I'm surprised Matt Lodge didn't make it. I think it shows that there's a probably a, a real shallow um, shallow pool in relation to quality front rows because a lot of front rows have, have, um, have committed themselves to other nations in the World Cup. So um, I've got to say it's one of the most vulnerable Australian sides I've seen. I think New Zealand, they go on as the favourite Australia, but I think this New Zealand side is probably the, the strongest side we've ever seen on paper.
1: Sats, love your work, mate. We'll speak to you again soon. See you, Sammy. Scott Sattler uh, to wrap up the NRL Grand Final. Michelle Timms to wrap up extraordinary scenes that we saw with Lauren Jackson, bronze medal for Australia at the World Cup with the Opals. That's next. Uh, Well, I mentioned this off the top as one of my heroes uh, in my Heroes and Villains segments, but uh, if we all don't have Lauren Jackson at the top of our heroes list this week, then I don't know if we're paying enough attention. So a career that began 25 years ago as an Opal, 16 years of age. Lauren Jackson from that point on and throughout her career established herself as uh, Australia's most decorated basketballer. Man, woman, you name it. She has been one of our greatest, if not the greatest of all time, uh, to come out of Australia into the world of basketball and it was... Just heartbreaking in 2016 when she wasn't able to, due to debilitating knee injuries, get the farewell she so richly deserved. Well, as a 41-year-old came back to get exactly that. And On the weekend, the bronze medal game against Canada, uh, Australia dominated, and it was off the back of Lauren Jackson. 30 points has now broken a tonne of records. And to speak all about it, about the greatest of all time, one of our other greatest of all time, Michelle Timms, has been good enough to join us, who was part of ESPN's commentary uh, of the FIBA World Cup in Sydney. Michelle, hello to you. Hello. Do you just have to shake your head at times? Um, How did it feel being there to see Lauren Jackson do what Lauren Jackson did?
3: It was just, it absolutely was just shake your head. I just couldn't believe what I was witnessing, to be honest. Um, You know, even then, as now, I can't find the words to explain her. She's just an unbelievable Athlete, an unbelievable human being. She's the gift that just keeps giving.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so a bronze medal for, for Australia. And we'll speak about Australia overall and their performance at the World Cup. Um, uh, from where they were at the Olympics, it, it, which was nowhere, uh, to where they've been able to get to here, it's a testament to uh, them and to the players and the coaching staff involved. And we will address that because it, we absolutely should. But, but Lauren Jackson, of where she will finish up, when you heard that she was coming back... Um, to play competitive basketball, Uh, how did you feel? And then when she said that she was putting her hand up for international basketball, what went through your mind?
3: Well, when she said she wanted to make a comeback and then when she said she wanted to give the Opals a go, I had no doubt she was going to be able to succeed in both areas because there's one thing about Lauren Jackson, she doesn't do anything by halves. And she's very calculated. So there's no way she's going to put herself in either of those positions unless she knows um, she's able to do it. There's no way she'd want to be part of the, um, the Bandits team, which was her NBL1 team, or the Opals as a token. So when I heard the news, I thought, hang on, hello. Um, she's, you know, she's informed. She believes in herself. She dropped all that weight. And I had total belief that she was going to be able to get it done um, on the court but I think when it comes to the Opals even before they stepped foot on the court in that first game against France I really felt that her job was already done she came into that program and she um she turned it around you know she denies it but anyone who's been around the Opals or seen what's gone on in the past 18 months with um with Liz Cambridge, we sort of what she did for that team was what it desperately needed and that is reinvent itself and um and discover what it really meant to be an opal and they'd lost they'd lost sight of that um for a number of reasons and um she helped them understand what it truly meant to be an opal and and so she set the culture or helped it you know set the culture up for the team which uh was absolutely fantastic and evident Sorry, that dog. Can you hear that? Absolutely. (laughs) And I'm not surprised
1: because we're all massive fans of of Lauren Jackson. and It just sounds like your dog is as well.
3: Oh, man. No. (laughs) Well, when you're away working for ESPN, (laughs) what do you expect your 18-year-old daughter to go and do? Look buy a puppy the dog? or you away. <laughs> oh, no, no, buy a puppy. So anyway, <laughs> that's another story for another time. But sure. we're in a good mood right now, so we're speaking up Lauren Jackson <laughs> and what she did for the Opals. So, um, yeah, no, it was quite remarkable and you could really notice the difference in the girls and, and they became believers in themselves and believers in, in the fact that they thought they could win a medal. They had this toughness about them. They had this... Um, selflessness about them, and um, it was just a beautiful thing to watch. It wasn't so pretty the first game we went down to France. No. But um, we still knew the foundation and the culture was back um, despite that loss. But, um, yeah, no, like, so for me, Lauren had had already done her job before the toss of the ball against that France team, and then to see what she was able to do, someone, an absolute superstar, step into that um, team and say, I'm here, coach, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you and the team, you know, get to where we want to be, and that is back on the podium like Opals um, have been for so many years. And, and that was infectious, you know. Um, Essie Magdeball got benched and came on and was brilliant. Kayla George got benched, came on and was brilliant. Lauren Jackson played games where she only played three minutes, but her three minutes were so, you know, fabulous and, you um, She really put the team first, like they all did, put the team first.
1: And in the game that mattered, 30.7 rebounds, two steals. Now, equal record of the most. I know, I know. Equal record, most World Cup games played. uh, 43 to sit alongside Brazil's uh, Janeth dos Santos Arcane. And the all time leading point scorer in medal games in FIBA Women's World Cup history. An extraordinary send off. But the greats, Michelle it's It's in the moments that matter most. So you talked about the not not a ton of minutes at times through the the pool yep. games, but in the game where it mattered most, lauren yep. Jackson was the was the dominant force in the game. And then to go out in that manner, um, you know we we speak about the Mount Rushmore of Australian <laughs> basketball. She sits absolutely uh, on that, yeah, and at the top yep. of that tree. absolutely
3: absolutely. It was phenomenal, you know. As I said earlier, she's just the gift that keeps giving. You know, she she left a legacy when she was forced into retirement for women's basketball, and then she, you know, goes into a job and becomes the the head of women's basketball in Australia and then decides to come back and play for the Opals and help lead them to the medal. But to finish her career the way she did was extraordinary. You know, I I played with Lauren when she first joined the Opals in 98, and she was just gangly kid. She, um, she, she didn't have an international body, but you knew she was special. She'd do things like, come on for eight minutes and score eight points. Well, LJ might have looked a little bit different to what she looked then, but boy, the, the exact same outcome. I think she only played 20 minutes and had 30 points. And she just had that look in her eye. You know, Coach Brondello played her for three minutes the night before. That might have helped that look. I'm not a token, <laughs> but um, she just laid it and left it all on the court. And it's just, it's surreal what she did. It's, it's unbelievable what she did. And she put the team on her back and um, gave them a, uh, uh, you know, a big in the key. And we hadn't had a lot of inside penetration through that game. And so the ball just kept going into her. And I felt bad for the Canadian player and yeah. Tomwa who was on every highlight reel because she just kept getting beaten. <laughs> yes. um, but it was quite extraordinary, unbelievable. I, I'll never see it again in my lifetime to go out after having half a knee replacement and two kids and be out of the game for so long and to come back and win MVP, not just, you know, score 30, but MVP of that game mm. was Just phenomenal. Um,
1: Michelle, Tim, before I let you go, how proud should we be of uh, the Opals' performance given that they were rock bottom after a really disappointing Olympics? And we all know what happened in the lead-up to that. You've touched on that with Liz Cambridge uh, and the healing factor that Lauren Jackson brought as well as the star factor and the the output factor in that game. But to to have a bronze and China, unfortunately, got the better of us again, but um, America got there. Uh, got the best of them but how proud should we be of a of a podium finish uh, at this world cup given how far back we we've, we've had to come from
3: just in, incredibly proud like you know you go into tournaments and you're meant to say things as as a um as an opal as an as a supporter like yeah you know we're going to we're going to podium we're going to get on the podium we're going to medal but really no none of us thought that none of us truly thought that this team was going to medal we thought maybe fourth and if we finish fourth that'd be just a fantastic effort. But to win that bronze medal was just an incredible performance by all. And, and you know, Lodis did score 30, but, you know, it, it was truly a team effort. And I think they overachieved. 100%.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Steph Talbot, great tournament. Sammy Whitaker, oh my incredible. So uh, there's a lot, a lot to take out of, of it. And and geez, didn't Sydney show up and show out to, as the host uh, of the World Cup? It was a phenomenal series. And, and well done to you and the whole team that did such great coverage of it on ESPN. And Michelle Timms, thanks so much for just um, giving us your thoughts. Oh,
3: thanks
1: so much for having us. Uh, the great Michelle Timms speaking about the GOAT. Lauren Jackson, uh, what a privilege to be joined by her. And what a privilege to be joined by you. Thanks for all the text on the 40 Winks temper text. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you at 40 Winks serious about sleep for all your calls on the harcourts open line you'll move your harcourts for all your heroes and villains there's a couple of late ones that have come through uh dean says my villains afl and nrl grand final thanks to robbie williams and jimmy barnes for saving us a load of disappointment my heroes kansas city chiefs for stitching up tom brady and the tampa bay uh buccaneers uh, another one off the text hero jack miller last two rounds seventh on the starting grid then finishing first and second respectively primed for a Phillip island win that's a great shout that one Uh, as well. Hi Sam Um, uh, can't people have an opinion good or bad, don't be so precious mate that's from Jeff in South Australia, my take on Steve Price, yeah they can but it's not an area that that Steve has any involvement in I just thought it was a a clickbait cheap shot and I thought that he'd be better than that but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, 21-10 Tasmania over Cairns uh, in the NBL at the moment the first serve is up next with BP Uh, stick around for that, see you tomorrow night